Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Dribble Podcast. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian Newspaper, taking you through another season of talking to guests from the Perth Wildcats, Perth Lynx, and basketball in general to give you the best insight into what is happening in the sport throughout this state. In this week's episode, you'll be hearing from NBL Commissioner Jeremy Liliga following a big start to the season, and then we will speak to Andrew Vlahov and his daughter Ruby following some exciting news about her career. But first, it has been a massive few years for the NBL. There's been so much going on for them with COVID and everything else, but the highlights and achievements are plenty have been great so far this season. And one of the men central to all of this is the NBL Commissioner, Jeremy Lowliga. Jeremy, welcome to Dribble Podcast. Thanks very much, Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you. So much to talk about, and we'll ho- focus heavily on WA-based things shortly, but let's start with last week when the NBL was front and centre on the world stage with the Adelaide 36ers beating Phoenix. Last year's number one seed out west, Phoenix, they did just lose to an NBL team yesterday. That's not mm. a typo. As the NBL team couldn't miss versus the Suns. Seriously. The last time a non-NBA team beat an NBA team was 2016. So such a massive achievement, Jeremy. We've seen so many teams traveling to the U.S. in the past, including the Wildcats. What did that do for the landscape of the NBL? Yeah, I guess we're still going to find out exactly what that will do for the fortunes of the NBL and and for basketball here in Australia generally. But I think the impact will be really significant. I mean, kids were talking about it immediately after it happened, and and that's a very important litmus test for me is that you, you want the next generation of superstars to be watching on um, and admiring the, the guys that they see out here on court in Australia doing it on an even bigger stage in the US. And th- that's going to be really impactful in terms of their decision-making going forward, both in terms of whether or not they continue to play the sport, whether or not they attend games, whether or not they tune in and watch on TV. So, look, I think the impact can't be measured in uh, the immediate term. I think it'll be measured in the long term. And, you know, that'll be one of those moments that you look back on 10, 15, 20 years from now and go, hey, remember when? And we we still have those moments, hey, remember when um, Phil Smythe played against Andrew Gaze in a championship series or, hey, do you remember when the Perth Wildcats took on, um, and I think there was a moment there where they played a team that Magic Johnson brought over and they certainly played against the Houston Rockets at one point as well. So I, I think it'll be one of those do you remember when moments that people will talk about a long time from now. So one of the challenges when you do the NBA preseason, it's, it's a bloody long way. It took us 30 hours to get there when I went there in 2018 with the Wildcats for the trip to Utah and Denver, but that season didn't begin until October 11, and we're recording mm. this on October 11 now. We're two rounds in. We'll see how Adelaide recover on their way back, but are you prepared to potentially delay the start of the NBL season to ease the athletic burdens on players if you can continue doing this sort of thing? Yeah, look, the schedule is so difficult to fit in as it is. Our venue availability is a real challenge here. So delaying the start would be a a huge challenge. Um, What we might need to look at is how we get these games scheduled earlier um, and therefore maybe be able to play them a little bit earlier. Now, the NBA preseason doesn't start all that much earlier than we were able to play these games. So that'll be a challenge too. But yeah, it's something we we definitely need to look at, um, having them play with uh, overlapping the start of the NBL season isn't ideal. That said, it's been done before and didn't have a huge detriment in the past, but um, certainly acknowledging it's not an ideal start for for any team coming back uh, from the States and then playing a few days later as the 36ers are doing uh, this season. But we'll get there. We'll find a cadence now that we're back after COVID. There was a really nice sort of 
pattern evolving pre-COVID to the the NBL NBA preseason games, and um, a lot has changed. So the the contracting process for getting the 36s over there was a lot more difficult this time around as well. Everyone's a lot more risk averse. There are a lot more what if questions floating around out there, and um, I tell you what, costs have gone through the roof as well. So I think the model will continue to evolve over the next few seasons. I look at the Wildcats as an incredibly enticing team for NBA opportunities like this purely because of the storylines around them. You could take them to Cleveland because Luke Travis is now a Cavalier. You, you could go to Toronto with Trevor Gleason there. Uh, we've got Utah involved with Scott Morrison still with um, in the G League. Danny Mills, the, the general manager at the, at the uh, Wildcats, worked at Philadelphia. And you've got Matt Nielsen at the Spurs as an assistant coach. You've got former player Adam Capehorn at Brooklyn. Are the storylines like you had with the 36ers and Josh Giddy so important? when it comes to getting these things done? Yes, in short, they are. And in terms of how we choose which NBL teams will go and participate in the NBA preseason, you know, we, we try and prioritise those teams that have performed the best season prior. But kind of the, the, the um, I guess, the highest priority or the, the one that's kind of unavoidable is if an NBA team requests a specific NBL team to match up again, well, it, it, we're not really in a position to say no. Um, we, we try and meet those requests because we want to be um, we want to be helpful. Uh, we're obviously um, relying on their their hospitality and their willingness to find a spot in their schedule for us. And to be perfectly frank, Oklahoma requested the Adelaide 36ers because of the Josh Giddy connection, and and they were the ones who got the gig as a result. So, yes, the more connections you have with more NBA teams, the more likely you are to to uh, I guess get a seat at the table. So we all, when you talk about pre-season games and what can be done, Danny Mills spoke to us in the, in the West the other day about his desire to hold a pre-season tournament, including teams from Europe, Asia and the NBL in Perth. What are your thoughts on bringing multiple teams from different countries over here and trying to set something up like that? Uh, I think we'd love to see uh, more international basketball uh, at a club level taking base, both in Australia and around the world. Uh, we'd love to see more of it. We'd love to participate in more of it. Um, it's very, very challenging from uh, a, a global calendar point of view. There are very few windows when teams are able to travel for significant amounts of time when you factor in their domestic um, competitions, their n- national team duties of, of many of their players, Um uh, pre-season, and then trying to factor in some downtime for these players as well. So it's a very, very condensed calendar when you start to look at it in that kind of detail. And But uh, absolutely, we'd love to see European and Asian clubs here. It's certainly a conversation that we've had uh, in the past and on an ongoing basis with many of our um, counterpart leagues around the world. And um, yeah, watch this space. So would they have to work hand-in-hand at the Wildcats with you to get permission and to organise these sorts of games, or are they able to, if they've got the contacts, get these teams in by themselves and organise it off their own back? Yeah, I mean, the the NBL teams are able to organise off-season and pre-season games uh, um, themselves. Uh, There are some restrictions around the use of IP and everything else, but... um, I think in terms of scale, uh, it would need to be something that had league involvement if it was going to work and and be sustainable. It's a very, very expensive exercise these days. And um, I can tell you our our European and Asian counterparts uh, expect pretty significant appearance fees and everything else if they're going to make a trek all the way over here. So you'd have to be sitting down with the Wildcats pretty soon then. I would have thought if they're going to get this up for next season. 
Oh, I think if they were looking to get it up for next season, then then yes, that would need to be a conversation had sooner rather than later. <laughs> when you talk about big big moments in the offseason, Luke Travers getting drafted as a bona fide developed player from the NBL, from development player to main roster to draft into the NBA, that's massive. What What's that done for the league? It's been huge. I mean, Luke, again, has had a terrific start to the season. He's the perfect example of how the NBL developed into an NBA pathway. The, the Cavs director of college scouting and the head of their G League operations was at the NBL Blitz uh, in Darwin this year, watching and working with, with Luke. And um, I think they're all of the same view that we are. Not only is he a fantastic player, but he's just a, a fantastic person as well, who the entire community in, in WA and Rockingham should be incredibly proud of. He's... Um, not just a great ambassador for, for Perth uh, or for the sport of basketball. He's, he's a great ambassador for Australia as well, just the way that he carries himself. And um, we, we have no doubt when he does go to Cleveland and he gets his chance in the NBA, he'll have a, a huge positive impact. So while that was the positive for the Wildcats in the offseason, it's fair to say there was a little bit going on uh, when they lose a coach, their CEO, and multiple other other staff. When all that was going on, did the league have concerns about what was going on there with so many changes happening at once? Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think to some extent there was a, a considerable amount of coincidence there as much as anything else and, and bad luck. Um, but look, change isn't easy. Uh, and it's certainly not seamless, and but that doesn't necessarily mean change is a bad thing either. And the the ownership group there, uh, Sports Entertainment Group, um, SEN, have, have had a long-standing relationship both with the sport and with the NBL, and um, they've got proven ownership um, based off their success in in helping to build Melbourne United on and off the court over previous years, and now transferring their interests uh, to the Perth Wildcats. We, we have no doubt that they're going to put the right people in charge to maintain the Wildcats status as one of Australia's most successful sporting organisations, but we're also cognizant of the fact that, that it takes time. Um, one, one thing that the Perth Wildcats always have had going for them was continuity, both on and off the court, and, and a little bit of a stumbling block in terms of the continuity uh, there in recent times, but um, most of the structures are still there in place, and we have no doubt that they're going to bounce back just as big as ever. And the one consistent there has been the Red Army. <laughs> they're so passionate and they're always willing to give their opinions and that passion is fantastic for the club and the sport. It, it, it's, um, it makes such a big difference going over and playing in RAT Arena when the Red Army gets behind the Wildcats. And uh, I'm sure that, that their opinions are being heard and taken on board by the ownership team, And but uh, we have every confidence in, in Hutchie and the gang. So it's fair to say they were upset, the Red Army, about missing the finals, but there were a lot of other people throughout the rest of the country who were stoked, as we saw in this clip as part of the NBL documentary, NBL Unrivaled. Call me a sadist, but I actually loved seeing the Wildcats spiral out of the playoffs. Oh, I love it. I love it. I enjoy every minute of it. I'm sorry, but I enjoy every minute of it. Yes, Shane Hill and Paul Smith both enjoying every single minute of it. How was the documentary received? Yeah, it's, it's been received really well. It's our fourth straight season of, of producing a doco, um, the fourth one coming up this season, but our our first with episodes that dropped during the NBL season. So I think it's been well, um, it's been taken up well, and the comments and the feedback that we've had have all been positive. And you know, we're just really committed to giving our fans the most engaging and behind-the-scenes content as possible, stuff that they haven't seen from the NBL before and understanding a little bit about 
the blood, sweat and tears that goes into making the product that they see uh, week in, week out and how passionate everyone is about it. But it's also about storytelling about the players. We've got such a diverse player group and um, their backstories are incredible and we haven't done enough until now in terms of making them sort of household names or or water cooler conversation around the workplace. And um, I can tell you, if people scratch the surface, or uh, um, they start to unravel these incredible stories of people who have come from all around the world, from all different kinds of circumstances, to this one sort of meeting point. And, you know, some of them then go off to other really exciting places after the NBL, whether or not that's to play in other leagues or onto new careers. And that's something that we're exploring now too, is how do we how do we track some of these stories beyond their time here in Australia? And we started down that road with our very first documentary series that tracked very closely the fortunes of the four next stars uh, that were here during uh, during the, let's call it the Lamello Ball era of the next stars program and people coming from four really different backgrounds to this central meeting point where they were all trying to forge their next step in their professional careers. Some of them went on to really high lottery picks and, and successful NBA careers and others went the other direction. So it's a it, it's an exciting proposition to have this kind of content and these kind of people um, to be able to make really, really compelling stories with. And it's not easy to get coaches on board for these sorts of things when you're saying we're going to release it midway through the season at different points. Like, What sort of a conversation have you had to have with those guys to say, we're going to get you, in, you know, behind the scenes, giving out really confidential information at times, yet trust us to be able to release it in a way that won't jeopardise your season? Yeah, it, well, it's released the following season. So the content that's going out now was in relation to the prior season, and that's sort of the pattern that we'll continue to, to use. But it's absolutely an exercise in trust, and and um, trust is a very, very valuable commodity, and we're not about to burn anyone in this process. So um, in order to be taken into the inner sanctum and, and to give people the comfort that they need to speak candidly, we obviously have to um, engage with them in the process around what actually goes to where. Um, we, we obviously try and retain as much creative control as possible because that's how you tell a good story. Um, but we're certainly not going to burn anyone because you know, our, our people, whether they're players, coaches, administrators, um, are, the, are the interesting element of the component. As soon as we burn one of them and do the wrong thing by someone, everyone else is going to, to close ranks on us as well. So it's in our own best interest to make sure that we look after our people. Paul Smith versus Craig Hutchison is a pretty fun and intense ownership rivalry. I'm still not sure whether it's real or whether they're doing a very good job of giving the entertainment. Do you like that sort of banter? Yeah, banter is great. Um, Rivalry is what sport is all about. And uh, those are two very passionate team owners um, coming from very different perspectives and who have very different opinions on a number of things. And when they go head to head, it it makes for, again, as I said earlier, great content. Um, I can tell you, though, it's very real. Uh, the rivalry is very real, real but um, certainly there's a, there's a bit of sauce added to it, I think. Both of them uh, know how to make the most of a, a platform. Um, they're both very successful businessmen in their own right, and they didn't get there by accident. So um, I'm sure each of them will take the opportunity to make the most of the, their, uh, the platform that they've 
I was going to say not that they've been given, but they've, that they've rightfully taken. Now, you talk about successful businesses. The NBL has become extremely successful under your leadership, and it's been, become um, bigger and bigger. And you're obviously in Darwin recently for the NBL Blitz, and we're sort of everyone's anticipating that would mean more expansion and the possibility for a team up there. There's talk about another team in Canberra and things like that after Tassie's come in and, and South East Melbourne recently as well. What do you think is the ideal number of teams over the next decade for this league to get to? Over a decade is is a big call. I, I would say um, I would say between twelve and fourteen. Um, I, ideally, you want to have an even number of teams, but it's not necessary. Um, we have played with an uneven number of teams very recently. Before the introduction of the Jack Jumpers, we had nine. Um, but look, I, I think there's scope to get to fourteen in the fullness of time. Whether or not we get there in the next decade remains to be seen. Um, but we know that that there's sufficient um, audience here to withstand it. We've had more teams than that in the NBL in years gone by. But the most important thing if you're going to grow is that you do it sustainably and you do it at a pace that makes sense and you don't just grow for the sake of growth. You grow because the right alignment of, of factors are there um, and uh, we're not going to rush into anything. So crowds are massive over here for the Wildcats and even were mm. when the league was struggling throughout the rest of the country and now mm. it, it's b- booming everywhere else and it's booming here as well. Do you need another team <clears throat> in WA, do you think, if you're going to get to that number? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, there's, the, as you say, the fandom there is just absolutely huge and that, that can go one of two ways. I mean, there's so many fans of the Wildcats that it means that if you introduce the second team, well, none of those loyal fans surely are going to turn their back on the Wildcats and go and support the opposition. Um, but then again, you look at the AFL model and you've got the West Coast Eagles and, and the Dockers both doing pretty well in terms of fan base and following and, and then those numbers continuing to grow uh, almost every year, I'm told. And um, So, yeah, it, it's a two-sided coin. Um, it's certainly – we don't rule anything out here at the NBL. We're, we're pretty uh, transparent about saying that we'll consider all options that are put on the table and we're, we're entrepreneurial and, um, and whilst we're not afraid of risk, we also do – a very significant due diligence on these sorts of opportunities. And we're also very conscious of the fact that demand for NBL basketball is an all-time high. And we've been approached by that many different parties from that many uh, different parts of the country uh, and abroad for that matter, um, that we're not, I mean, we're spoiled for choice. We're we're, um, not scrambling around trying to find destinations to fit a square peg in a round hole. So we'll continue to, to monitor um, those expressions of interest and importantly we've got to find the right alignment of, of three core things infrastructure um, public interest and then commercial and, and government interest um, it, it, if you don't have those three elements then then the conversation doesn't even get off the ground so this state is enormous we're a hell of a long way from adelaide we're a hell of a long way mm-hmm. from darwin if that comes in so we've got such a, a, a vast region of territory that you can cover. And we've we've seen regionally in the NBL 1 West how strong the clubs can be. Jelton Buccaneers won the premiership in NBL 1 West mm. this season. We have a team in Kalgoorlie, and the Southwest is such a massive sporting area which produced the likes of Mark Worthington and Cam Glidden. There's always mm. talk over here about whether the Southwest region or some of the other regional areas are the best place for another sporting team to, to arrive. Do you think regional is the best thing if it does come into WA? Yeah, look, regional is a possibility, but then there's there's success on the court and success off the court, and producing talent um, is a very different, uh, uh, very different um, product, I guess, or very different outcome to producing a sustainable fan base uh, that generates sufficient revenue uh, to to 
basically bear the operating costs of an MBL license these days. It's not an inexpensive business to run. Um, and so you do need a, a baseline supporter base and a healthy local community, um, both in terms of the public interest, but also in terms of the local corporates who are willing to get behind it. And if you're looking regionally, then um, a combination probably of state government and local council to get behind it as well. But it is one of the things that sets one of the things that sets us apart as a national professional league is that we don't need 25,000 people in every week in order to make this thing sustainable. We can go into smaller areas um, and we've demonstrated that we can be uh, successful and we did exactly that with Tasmania. We've got existing case studies, of course, in the likes of, of Cairns and Illawarra where they're not in, in major capital cities uh, and they, they compete week in, week out. So, we don't rule anything out. We do like to take advantage of those opportunities that set us apart from our counterparts. And um, you know, as I said, we'll consider all options and look at them very carefully. Have you had any contact with people about a second team in recent years? Yes, we have. We've had um, we've had parties reach out uh, in, I would say, probably each year of the last four years, at least once, um, reach out and say that there was interest. It's certainly something that would be exciting to see. And the Wildcats have always been successful. And they've certainly started this season well and made it three from three on Monday night with this win over Cairns. It's a powerful performance from Perth. Just the type we've expected to see from them over so many years. And they travel up to far north Queensland and spoil the party for the hosts. Yes, which that brings us to the Dribble Podcast MVP Awards. Now, there were two games over the weekend, and like last year, the Wildcats have asked media to be part of their voting team for their actual MVP Awards, and I was on that panel for the Illawarra game, so I can't give you that information, but I can give you who I voted for in the Cairns match, which was one vote to Mitch Norton, almost a double-double with 16 points and nine assists, two votes to Todd Blanchfield after setting the tone with five three-pointers in the first half, and three votes to Bryce Cotton for 24 points as the top scorer in another terrific game. Now, it was a big win, Jerry. And it certainly was a big percentage booster for the Wildcats. Mm -hmm. And it feels like percentage is going to be even more important this year with the restructure of the ladder with the play-in series. Do you anticipate teams being more conscious of keeping the foot down this season? Yeah, I do. I think um, the entire concept of the play-in is that it keeps more teams engaged for longer and and in doing so, keeps more fans engaged for longer. So the end of the season will have a new level of importance and intensity we expect. And um, there are, yeah, more high-stake blockbusters, hopefully, towards the, the pointy end of the season for our fans. And it means that you've got those two additional teams in the championship hunt for longer. Um, and it's been proven to work in the NBA. I know other leagues around the world are considering as well. And we studied that model closely, and we're confident that, that it'll have similar success here in the NBA. So for those who aren't aware of it, let's explain it. Top two are locked, and then I'm going to throw it to you to explain the rest of it because it, it can be described in many different ways, and it can get confusing. So after the top two are locked in, tell us about three, four, five, six. If you finish in third and fourth, you get an advantage over fifth and sixth in the sense that you have to lose twice in order to not be able to progress through to the semifinals. Whereas fifth and sixth, you it's basically you get one opportunity. If you lose your game, uh, your first game is either fifth or sixth, you're out. Third or fourth, if you lose your first game, you get a second chance. You play the winner from the other. So it's really interesting. I'll talk about percentage. I remember back to the 2018-19 series when uh, the Wildcats won the, in the championship and the top three teams were all locked on the same number of wins. So this season, percentage will matter massively because two of them would have gone through automatically and the third, despite being the same number of wins as top, will be fighting for their life still. Yeah, that's right. It keeps it, it, keeps it interesting for more fans for longer. That's the, that's the important takeaway. 
well, it certainly promises to be an exciting build-up towards the finals as they get to that, given what you've done this season. So thank you very much for joining us. Remember, Wildcats fans, your team is back at home against Melbourne United on Friday night. We hope everything continues to go well for you, Jeremy. And it's a bit of an easier season than the COVID havoc you've been dealing with for the past couple of years. So thanks for joining us on the Dribble Podcast. Absolute pleasure, Craig. Thanks for having me. Well, there is nothing more exciting in sport than when a child of a gun comes through the ranks. And now the Perth Lynx have added one of the most famous names in WA basketball history to their squad for the upcoming season. Ruby Vlahov is the daughter of this man. Titans by one. Vlahov. Over the top of Wheeler for three. Yes, we all know the name Andrew Vlahov as a former Wildcats captain, Olympian and basketball WA Hall of Famer. And now we've got both father and daughter joining us today. Ruby, Andrew, welcome to the Drill Podcast. Thank you very much for having us. Congratulations, Ruby. Uh, You've signed with the Lynx for the first time. This must feel awesome. Yeah, it feels great. It's always been a goal of mine to be in the Lynx squad and I've been in the Lynx Academy for the past couple of years. So finally getting on the roster has been really great. And what does it mean to you, Andrew, as a parent, to see your daughter achieving her dream? Oh, it's very, um, it's very pleasing. You know, a great deal of pride, obviously, um, being being involved uh, from her early development onwards and seeing the progression she's made and the work that she's put in. It's great to see her get uh, this kind of reward. Now, Ruby, there is a bit of confusion with you because you only announced your commitment to St Mary's College in California last week. So with this signing, does it mean you're combining both or has something changed? Um, I'm going to be doing both. So I won't go to college until after the WNBL season. So I get to do both, really, which is really good. So you're an amateur player at the Lynx, which means you're not being paid, and that's to avoid breaching college eligibility rules. Is that correct? Um, it really just means that I've just got to work um, without that payment just because I can just put in all the time. And really, being this development player is going to help me at college, so I'm, I'm happy to be here no matter what, really. Now, we saw this similar scenario when Taya Burrows was going through the system, and she's still on the Lynx roster now. She was an amateur player also. Have you spoken to her about her experiences? Yeah, me and Taya have had a bit of a conversation. Um, I've also spoken to a lot of the other girls about it um, with like the rules, the college rules, and then the WNBL rules. Um, so they've really been helping me through it and just kind of giving me some advice from their perspective. Andrew, you might be in a better position to explain some of the intricacies around it all because there's also court time that uh, gets restricted in certain situations. What can you tell us about what agreements are in place? Well, the amateur part is is one thing, but also um, because Ruby finished school last December and it'll be 12 months uh, since before she signed, so there's a thing in the NCAA where once you... Once you go past 12 months, you can't play in an organised game uh, and otherwise you lose a year of eligibility. So what St Mary's have asked us to do is not play in any competition. So she can train uh, and she can be part of um, the team and et cetera, et cetera, but she can't participate in a game past about December 7th. So that's only five games before December 7, but four of them will be home. You must be really keen to get out there and improve and develop as much as you can in that short window. Yeah, I really, um, I don't, I think either way, playing or not playing, my development's going to be similar. Um, training with the team is pretty good, even if I'm not playing. So I think either way, it's going to be a very good situation for me. 
Is she allowed to even suit up and sit on the bench after that December deadline, or is that out of the options as well? Just checking that right now, um, and one of the things I think too that we would probably consider and Ruby sort of brought up is she doesn't want to take opportunities away from other girls, but just because she's you know part of this group and she has to sit out past that point, um, you know, we, we would be happy either way, whatever the coach decides. Um, Ruby Ruby's development, as you said, is going to come on the training track. It's not going to come from two or three minutes a game or five minutes a game. So that's that's our focus is actually the participation in training. Andrew, do you believe having this experience in a professional environment before going to college will make it easier for her to adjust once she gets to the US? Um, well, at some point she's going to do that anyway, but I think at this stage it's really good for her to be part of the Lynx program. You know, it's a very professional and um, developing program for her, which is what she exactly what she needs. And, you know, in terms of the rules, etc., we've been really careful about that. Um, being an amateur, is there's no issue with that. However, the rules are changing. So in the NCAA now, players can receive payment. So it's a bit of a, you know... Um, it's a bit hypocritical to not allow um, kids before that, yet they can do it as soon as they get to college. So I think at some point those rules are going to change. Ruby, take us through your junior progression because you've already had a really impressive career as a teenager. Um, I've really started off uh, juniors at Parallax Hawks and I've just worked my way up through there, did all of the wobble. Um, and then through those years, I started playing for state for Western Australia and then under 16s, I was lucky enough um, to start uh, being in the Australian squad as well. So I've really just been working through the state teams and Australian squad, but also th- with um, NBL1 now with Hawks um, to get me to this spot. Just being a Vlahov comes with pressure. People can be negative or cruel, especially through the development phase. How have you handled it and what's it been like being a Vlahov in this sort of environment? Um, I think I've had some of those experiences, but I've never really, um, I've definitely thought about it, but every time I've thought about it, I've just wanted to, it's kind of driven me more to go out and play and like, um, perform as well as I know I can being my own self, um, not having dad by my side, like on court, it's all me. Um, so it's kind of been kind of a driving point really. And what about you, Andrew? You've been at games. Have you heard that sort of chatter, the negativity in the background or have people been pretty good about it? I think her performances sort of speak for themselves when people see her play and they see her statistics, etc. Um, she's, she's got everything that she's got because of her own work. It's not because of her last name. So it's a pretty easy sort of conversation to have with people. Um, you put her up against um, the next kid in line. She's done the work. She's good enough to be selected, etc. So it's, it's people, whether they're state selectors or national selectors, um, they watch her play. They don't. They don't really see the name. Lahov, big shot. Oh, nice, nice take. Lahov finds a way straight through it. Ruby Lahov. There is a clear advantage from being the son or daughter of someone who's been through the system and has been elite like like yourself, and that's the ability to draw on that knowledge and draw on that skill. How much work have you two done to utilise the knowledge you gained from being a professional basketballer? Um. Well, fair bit, um, but probably, you know, like most parents, um, they want to see their, their children have opportunities. So Ruby's, you know, she's, she's played basketball, she's done track and field, she's had a little crack at AFL uh, at school, but she's really settled on her love of basketball and seeing that and cultivating that pretty easy in our house, given, um, you know, my history. So 
got a bit of an advantage of it as a parent, knowing how to teach a child how to shoot properly or think about the game differently. So um, that's probably been one of the advantages of being a parent in, in Ruby's case for, for her. Um, but it's, it's really enjoyable. When you see a, a child that wants to learn and wants to work hard, the coaching part comes easy. There's a really cool legacy coming through from former Wildcats players now. We've seen the kids all starting to be on the horizon from a fair way back, actually. When you think Stephen Black and Cody Ellis, Jeremiah Grace made it to the NBL, Keanu Pinder's playing really well now, and last year the Lynx had Mia Satie as a development player. What does it mean for you, Andrew, to see former players, former teammates, friends of yours, all having their kids coming through and having success? I mean, it's it's fun. Um, you know, we talk about it when we see each other, etc. And obviously, you know, some of those guys I'm 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 still close to. And you know, our our um, our legacy really is just a is just a name thing. You know, it's up to Ruby now to to cut her uh, notch on the door and and make her mark in in the basketball world. And and you know, kind of my job's done. Um, you know, in the grounding and the and the basics and the fundamentals, I feel like she's done a really good job of listening to that, and she's very very coachable. So, she's got a high IQ um, in terms of basketball and some other things. <laughs> but, but that doesn't sound too good. But she's she's a clever player. She reads the game. She's always played above her age because of her ability. So she's been playing two years up, three years up, um, and that's I think also stood her in good stead when it's time to transition against you know. Uh, the bigger, stronger females in, in the league. Now, Ruby, people see the good things. They don't see the hard work, and it hasn't always been easy for you. You had a knee reconstruction a couple of years ago, and you just come back from that in the last season. Talk me through how you handled that. Um, yeah, it's been... Uh, it took me about 14 months um, of hard rehab to get back on the court, um, which was definitely tough. I definitely had a great support group around me, um, but I just had a really big drive to get back on the court and just make it how it was before it happened um so yeah 14 months got back on the court this year in March so I've done a nearly a full season full year um back and it feels great to be back and all my hard work has paid off during rehab just how hard was rehab for you we know it's hard on a lot of people and it can be really hard in different circumstances how hard was it for you it was really difficult I um definitely struggled just missing out on a lot of things um having that having like being able to not do anything at all and not being around the team and being able to like even walk sometimes was really um, a struggle but I got through it with my support group and I really knuckled down with rehab so I could get back to where I wanted to be. There's never a good time to do a knee but there are certainly really bad times and I reckon having to miss 12 months when key milestones like college or professional contracts are on the horizon is a really difficult time for anyone. How tough was it for you in those circumstances? Yeah, I definitely did um, have some times where I was very unhappy with the timing of things. Um, It was definitely a stage where I thought I'd go to the next level with my development, um, but it really just put it kind of like a pause on it because I'm right back to where I wanted to be already. Let's talk about her as a player. Andrew, what are we going to see from her on court? Um, Ruby's probably gift is in her versatility, so she can play one through four, um, Really good at stretching the floor, but also good at, I think, assessing her opponent and, you know, using quickness or using her shooting ability or using her size to, to create uh, advantages. So I think her, her mobility and her three-point shooting are, are good, and that's kind of where the modern game is, you know. We, there's so many guys now. We're always switching on defence. 
bigs are playing pick and rolls with smalls. So there's all sorts of stuff going on. So she's going to fit into that system really well. And, and I think, you know, with her, um, with her attitude and the way she approaches things, her work ethic's really good. Not once did I have to say, you need to go to rehab. Not once. And so she was extremely motivated with that. And she's driven to be back on the court. She had a, you know, 14, 18 month probably gap where she didn't get to play any basketball. And so in terms of that development, what, what happened then is now she's making up for lost time. And so she's um, probably even more driven than she was previously. You're joining a Lynx team this season that is very WA-focused when it comes to the roster, so you would know a lot of them. Has that helped you to settle in this year? Um, yeah, it was really nice. Um, I obviously came in late because of doing my college visits, and I, I actually wasn't nervous to walk through the door and see everyone because I knew everyone that was going to be in there, and I knew that I had played against them and I know who they are, which was really refreshing because like, they all have my back, they all know who I am, so it was really nice. And how did you settle on the college? You had a couple of options. What were the driving factors behind your decision? Uh, it was pretty tough, um, but I really just narrowed it down to the coaches and the connections I had. Um, and I ended up choosing St Mary's because of the people that were there um, and the team and just how well I f- um, fitted in with the coaches and the coaching staff and how nice they were. Like, um, really felt like home, like felt good to be there because the Aussie system was really good um, and I think that was the game changer. Do you feel ready for the big move to the US? Um, I'm really excited. Um, I'm like, can't stop thinking about it really. I'm, I think I'm ready to go. I think I'll only struggle with like the mum and dad not cooking me dinner and I think that's it. Can't make toast. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not great struggle. in the kitchen but <laughs> apart from that, I reckon I'm ready. Well, it's certainly an exciting time. It'll be fun to see you in action, Ruby. It'll be great to see the name Vlahov on the back of a uniform again. And I'm sure, Andrew, we'll be seeing a lot of you at Lynx Games. Oh, no, definitely. Um, you know, one of the things or one of the, um, I guess, great things is that Ruby's now part of a program that is going places, you know, and the Lynx have um, got some great plays in there. Great for her to be around people like Sammy Whitman. I listened to her speak the other night, blown away by her... Um, her resilience over time and the things that she can teach Ruby. Um, so that sort of mentoring thing is going to be great for Ruby to be around those sorts of people. Um, and, you know, again, I, I quite like it. It's got a West Australian flavour. I think that's how it kind of should be. Um, we try to get that with the Wildcats as much as possible, but with the Lynx, you know, they've got some great great young players. Ruby's part of a, you know, a, probably a good nucleus that over the next few years... We'll build and build and build, and some of her, you know, former state teammates and, and besties are on that squad as well. So it's going to be a good situation for her, I think. Well, thanks for joining us. Good luck. It promises to be an exciting season, and I'm sure all Lynx fans will be eagerly anticipating the opportunity to see you out on court. The season begins on November 2 against the Melbourne Boomers. So thank you for coming in today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Dribble Podcast. Thanks to Jeremy Lowliger, Ruby Vlahov and Andrew Vlahov for their time. Remember, you can read all of your basketball news in the West Australian newspaper and keep logging on to thewest.com.au. Thanks to the magnificent Kate Ryan for her production work yet again. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Dribble Podcast. <laughs>